Hey, this is Mike Missanelli, and you're listening to the Feed the Embiid, the number one Sixers podcast in America. Yeah, 2-1 on his jersey, playing like he's number one. Best big in the league, and it's no debate. Booze from the haters, point him to the exit. I guess every franchise needs its process. Every franchise needs its own process. Coming down the lane, yeah, watch your head, yeah. We post a every game, yeah, get your Kodak. Once he gets you under the basket, you better just pray. Hit you with the jab step, knock down, lock from Ben. Get out the way, and one, let the fans know it. Yeah, homie, let the fans know it. Watch the trailer, the three is going in your eye. If you mess, you better get back. Cause if the bees, there won't be a putback. Keep all that trash out of the paint. Cause the bees will put it back in your face. He's a cold blooded killer, and he take no prisoners. Yeah, dump off from TJ. Call it the feed to a bee. What's going on, everybody? This is the feed to Embiid. I am your host, Austin Krell, along with my, my co-host, Brock. Brock, you're going without a hat today, I see. And meanwhile- Yeah, yeah, yeah. So so listen, the first order of business is giving a shout out to my barber. Abby, you do the Lord's work, man. Check this out. Listen. That is something. He's doing the Lord's work. He's doing the Lord's work. So I got to give a shout out to my man, Abby. I appreciate him hooking me up, but- there's bigger fresh to fry here, Austin. What do you got for me tonight? Sixers win um, a, a, another weird game in, uh-huh. in, in Orlando. They you kind of had they had them at arm's length the entire the entire game. The Wizards sort of took like, like a brief lead in the third quarter, but the Sixers kept them at bay the entire game. They didn't blow them out like they should have done, but they kept them at bay. Um, and you know. Big story, obviously, in the game. Ben goes down with what they're calling it a, a knee injury, um, but that that wasn't a knee injury. I mean, let's. let's cut I it. like let's, the air quotes. I yeah, like that, the air quotes. That, that wasn't no. That was not a, a knee injury. You don't hobble like that with a knee injury. It's much more pronounced, and and you know they say no swelling, no pain. And how it's how is it a knee injury? He's mm-hmm. not in pain. If there's no swelling, how is it a knee injury then? So I, I agree with that. I don't yeah. want to make any speculations, but. I yeah. think that's a little a little bit of him nursing a back injury. I think it is too. I think it is too. I think it's maybe some uh, you know dehydration from from the temperatures down there. Maybe get the Charlie horse or a cramp, and say you know, let's not push this. You know, let's 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 set him out. Um, whatever. Um, but I don't think it's a, I don't think it's a knee. I don't think it's that significant at all. Um, Sixers again. We 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 say it every single day. Dribble penetration, dribble penetration, and dribble penetration some more. Today was no different. The Wizards stay in this game the entire night because of their ability to make shots around the basket. And, you know, it's – nothing has changed. And, I mean, um, you know, Brown says in – I think in, in some – I think it was today's po- uh, pregame media availability that – he wants, you know, that that they're not gonna they're not gonna relent with with the drop coverage and the pick and roll. They're gonna keep MB at the rim, but they might play up Horford to do like a soft trap a little bit almost out of the pick and roll. Um, 
which you know I, I didn't see too much of today. But they they still they they keep getting blown by 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 smaller guards, and that's the exact reason why they you know th that core philosophy and principle is why they they can't blow teams out ever. Like all these other teams in the NBA, they blow the doors off teams from time to time, and and you and you're wondering like why can't the Sixers do that? And then you realize that the defensive schemes, and then they have coaches who are willing to, um, you know, they have coaches who are willing to um, adjust and, and aren't you know aren't so prideful in, in their philosophies that they, they won't change. That's the whole reason why why this team is frustrating for fans. The defensive principles never ever change, and that's why you can never just have a relaxing win. Why they can never just blow a team out and you can just sit back and relax. Everything has to be a seven, eight point game against every inferior opponent. And, you know, I wrote, I wrote it in my recap. That's, that's how Brett Brown wants to go down. So let, let, let it be. Now I remember Brett Brown saying a, a year or two ago that he likes these close games in an almost sadistic way because it prepares his team for the playoffs. Fast forward a year it's the same defensive scheme. It's the same outcome to all of these games, and yet they haven't progressed any further than when Brett made this comment a year ago. So I don't understand his liking for these, these games. And Austin, Thomas Bryant scores 19 points with one three-point shot made. Jerome Robinson, 19 points, two three-point shots made. Troy Brown, 17 points, not a three-point shot made. Ish Smith, 12 points not a three-point shot made. If you look at where the percentage of shots that these guys are taking and making most of them, it's in the mid-range and the paint area close to the rim. And why is that? The dribble penetration. Unfortunately, we have to talk about this every episode, but for anybody viewing, and you have to hear me say this every time, it's, it's really a damn shame. If you watch Philadelphia defensively and they play this drop coverage against the screens, the defender on Philadelphia is always playing on the hip of or behind. And then in that case, you're relying on help defense. And oftentimes, if the help defense is not there, that's when these teams can generate easy looks and capitalize on them. So it's going to happen when you play Indiana or it's going to happen when you play Washington. It's, it's a defensive scheme that Brett Brown or whoever on the coaching staff refuses to examine. And I can understand it because it's like, sure, you want to take away that three-point shot. But at this point, is there really a difference if you hedge or go under screens? I mean, teams are torching Philadelphia in the pick and roll either way. So is there really a difference if you go under the screen and give up a few more threes? Because going over every single screen, I think it's been problematic not only this season, but for the previous four. Yeah, no, I agree. Um, <laughs> it's just like it's it's so funny that like, Literally, what it boils down to for every single Sixers podcast, the reason that th like, like we can never just have like a, a happy like oh we're content with this episode, it all every like the like, uh, Rice Ricky Sanchez and every podcast it comes the basic the basic missing piece of the formula is just a different defensive strategy out of the yeah. pick and roll. It's mind boggling. It's, it's mind boggling. Um, John Russell chimes in. Uh, was Ben exiting precautionary more than anything? I think so. I, I, I don't think there's a knee injury there. I think this team has been well known to uh, to em embellish or 
mislead the fan base or the public about what kind of an injury is really at stake, um, either for better or for worse. He says, hashtag be happy. We, the, the fans cannot be happy because this team should not be winning games against the Wizards by nine points. They shouldn't be w- beating the Spurs by a, a game-winning shot by, you know, a, a, a you know a second-year player. Um, they, you know, th- they shouldn't be losing to an undermanned um, uh, Indiana Pacers team. They shouldn't be forty-one and twenty-seven. This team is supposed to be better than this, if not for the amount on the offensive end. Certainly, their defense should make up for for the, a lot of their shortcomings, and it doesn't. And the defense, as it turns out, is now the reason why they're very frustrating to watch, which is a pretty damn big, you know, pretty a, a pretty big damning indictment of this team. Considering it was all about the defense with them from the start of the season to now, um, so there is no being happy. And if you are happy, you're letting them out. You're, you're you know, you're 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 you're, you're, you're conceding to them. You're you're showing mercy, Brock. Yeah, well, had it not been for Joel Embiid's fourth quarter domination, 12 points, 4 of 7 from the field, Philadelphia might not win this game. And I agree with the philosophy that a win is a win, whether it be 20 points or one point. But at some point, you have to evaluate what you're watching, right? So you have the Indiana game. The Sixers barely beat San Antonio, and San Antonio was more undermanned than Indiana. And now you have a team that has the worst defensive rating in the NBA, minus two starters. Well, Davis Bertans doesn't start, but he plays starting minutes. And you barely beat this team. At some point, you have to evaluate what you're watching. Offensively, there is a severe lack of production. And thankfully to Joel Embiid and his post-dominance, the Sixers can manufacture in the half court through that. But there is a severe lack of production on the offensive end. And whereas in the regular season, offense, poor offense may have negatively affected the Sixers' defense and influx of three-point shooting, long rebounds, getting back in transition. There's no excuse right now. It's a mystery, and I'm going to try to solve it. But for whatever reason that may be, Philadelphia's defense looks horrible. And this has been a three-game span. Scooby-Doo and the the mystery of the bad defense. <laughs> um, T. Scavia says predictions for the Sun, the Sixers defending CJ and, or Damon CJ and the PNR on Sunday. How can anyone predict this team ever? You simply can't predict the Sixers. And if you if you bet on them, you're 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 asking to lose money. If you um, you know if you try to predict them, you're out of your mind. You can't. They cannot be predicted. This team. So. I, you know, they'll either, you know, have a, a a masterful defensive performance and they'll win by twenty, or they'll lose by sixteen and give up forty eight to Dame and twenty eight to to uh, to CJ Brock. Yeah, they're gonna get completely obliterated, and the total the 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 game total may not may not represent that because Philadelphia could ultimately win that game. I don't want to count them out, but Philadelphia is going to get obliterated in the pick and roll. And unfortunately, this Ben Simmons injury, there's there's a lack of clarification right now. I know the game ended, what, 30, 45 minutes ago? So we really don't know what the diagnosis is. But if Ben Simmons doesn't play in this game against Portland, Jesus, I may not even tune in. You're going to get Gary Trent. You're going to get Dame. You're going to get CJ. You're going to get a couple role men. 
You might even get Carmelo in the PNR, but defensively, Philadelphia is going to get obliterated by Portland. What do you What do you think the the, the level of, de- of detail and discipline looks like when you have Melo setting a screen and then popping out? Like, <laughs> like, 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 what do they even do there? I don't know. <laughs> He's going to be popping threes. You're going to have Dame going to the rim. It's it, it it's going to be ridiculous. Um, before you know. before the NBA bubble, I equated Tobias Harris to a poor man's Carmelo Anthony, a prime Carmelo Anthony, and now I think Carmelo Anthony is a poor man's Tobias Harris. But nonetheless, he's been doing all right since this restart, and I don't see why he can't get his easy buckets against Philadelphia either. Um, I, yes, I agree. Now let's let let's go over to Joel Embiid in the post. Joel has twenty nine points tonight. He has. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think it was eight, 17 or 18 in the second half. Um, and, you know, for the third consecutive game, Joel looks really, really, really dialed in. Um, and a lot of it, I think, has to do with, you know, the usage and the, and the amount of, you know, of responsibility he's being given in this offense. But it has had the positive effect of he's now begun to read double teams way, way, mm-hmm. way better than what we're used to. And, you know, he, and it actually, you know, it's making the offense sort of fit better together. Like today, there were a couple times when, you know, he swings to the weak side and T- Tobias gets it. And, and then he, you know, um, it's, a, it's, a, it's, a, it's a hard closeout. And then Tobias beats his guy off the line and gets to the rim. You can see sort of like these breakthroughs of moments where they're like, okay, this offense is kind of coming together, kind of makes sense. So much of that is now being sparked out of MB identifying the double team. And, you know, to be honest, it's really quite a shame that they don't have like a sniper anymore. <laughs> Cause if they had a uh-huh. sniper and they had, and they were identified and he, and he was reading the double teams as well. It would be over. <laughs> it would be over. You would have, uh-huh. you, they'd be firing at all cylinders, but the sniper that they did have just wanted to secure the bag for two years before dipping. Apparently he said, and pardon my take today. Yeah. That, well, that he said he knew a week before, right? A week before free agency. Yeah, he's gonna sign yeah, with NOP. Yeah, he's a bullshitter. Yeah, so I mean there's good things with this game that you can still look at. Of course, uh, you alluded to Joel Embiid. He was responsible for forty percent of the team's field goals made, almost forty percent of their points scored, and his usage was around thirty-three percent, which is right on par for the course. Um, unfortunately, NBA stats does not update. Um statistics in the post until a couple of hours after the game. So I can't really tell you how many times Joel Embiid posted up, but assuming it was more than 15 times, Philadelphia would have improved to 6-0, and provided it's he posted up 15 times. Philadelphia is 6-0 and in those games when he does post up 15 or more times. So there is a direct correlation between Joel Embiid establishing himself in the post and Philadelphia winning. I saw a lot of deep passes in the post, which I liked. And again, Last game, four assists, zero turnovers from the post. So I'm curious to see how many times he either assisted or turned the ball over. But I did notice a couple of those long, weak side passes. One thing I also noticed about Joel Embiid, I don't know if this is something that he worked on over the break, but Joel Embiid seems like he's taking a second or two after he catches the basketball in the post to kind of realign and position himself before he goes to attack. And that's something I really liked because contrary to some games during the regular season, Joe kind of gets the ball right away, puts it at the lowest point possible, and then that leads to turnovers. Which or, is uh, the ahead. worst thing you can do 
especially is, at his size, is, is, is bring it low. He yeah. should keep he should keep it up high every single time, mm -hmm. every single time above his head. Just right. face up with one, face up with one hand, yeah. face up with one hand, and then just read, go to work, jab mm -hmm. step, do 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 your thing. There's no reason for him to bring it below his knees. Mm -hmm. I, I completely agree. So what I've seen in the previous couple of games is that Joe does bring the ball low, but now he's giving himself a second or two to kind of turn around and get set and positioned, and then he can attack. And Joe has looked awesome. I, I honestly think this is one of the better shapes he's ever played in. I mean, his conditioning looks great. He's running back and forth really well. Defensively, he looks really spry. I couldn't tell you how many times I saw Joel Embiid jumping around and falling on the floor today, which – Although it makes you kind of bite your nails a little bit, it's a good sign because he's active and he's moving around. Offensively, there's nothing to complain about with Joe. I, I believe he took two shots from beyond the arc. Yeah, it was only two. It was two misses from the top of the key. And other than that, everything came from within the perimeter. His production is high on the left side of the court. That's the side he likes to work on. Uh, a lot of good shots in the paint, only a couple of misses, and two shots at the free throw line. So Joel Embiid offensively. Looked awesome, and, and Austin, it's not a great game from Ben Simmons, and he exited early, but I did see that, and to your point, you tweeted it, it seemed like Ben Simmons did have more responsibility handling the basketball, and I think with Shake Milton, he kind of slows the game down. He walks the ball up the court. He passes half court. He hangs out for a second or two. Ben Simmons is just like this. He, he shoots out of a cannon, whether it be on an inbound pass or a live rebound, so I was glad to see he get more, uh, I guess, responsibility offensively, and he, too, even ran some pick and roll with Shake Milton. It was pretty frequent in the first quarter. Absolutely. Now, <clears throat> speaking of Ben Simmons, um, yes, he, he – I mean, I don't know whether it was a, a pride thing or, like, you know, he was reading what we all say about him on, on, on Twitter. But um, not, not we. I wouldn't dare associate myself with a Sixers fan. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm just a neutral observer. <laughs> you, you and me both. <laughs> <laughs> um. But um, <clears throat> I thought that Ben looked far more engaged tonight on both sides of the ball. He was actively searching for his shot, looking for contact, although he wasn't hitting all of his free throws, but looking for contact and not shying away, getting to the rim pretty much at will, better footwork around the basket. Um, and I also thought that, even though like, he wasn't racking up steals and blocking shots and just smothering guys, I thought he made guys uncomfortable. And you know, they, 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 weren't, they weren't able to get by him. He was sort of fronting them off with a strong core and then pushing them back on, out to the perimeter. He, you know, they weren't able to get up shots comfortably over him. And as a result, he made a lot of guys miss. Um, and you know, I, I, I was – you know, if, if if I'm a fan, I'm I'm really happy with what I saw from him defensively, even though it wasn't like you know the three steal and eight second game against Indiana, um, you know, in the early in the season. But that, but I think that that drove itself that 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 inspired play came from his having the ball in his hand more, and not it wasn't like he had the ball in his hand more necessarily in the half court, even though he did. It was more on the lines of understanding we had to balance our offense in two different ways. When it's half court, we got to run through the pick and roll and, and, and let Shake do it a little bit. You know, if if um, if if um, you know if, if Ben has it in his hands or like if we're going to look for Ben, let's get him a deep deep catch below the rim so he can just dunk it. Um, you know th that that kind of thing. And then 
in transition, it's Ben Simmons' ball. Everybody just catch up. Um, yeah, and I think basically. with that, I think with that kind of game plan, it really unlocked his engagement. It, it got him going, and he was more effective on both sides of the ball as a result. Yeah, to your point, I agree, and I like that Ben Simmons took eight free throws. He only made four of them, but if you can get up to 10-plus free throws from two players on your team, that production is unparalleled. One thing I like for Ben Simmons to add, and I saw a couple of people talking about this on Twitter recently, is maybe a move in the half court with the basketball, a crossover, some sort of hesitation, something to get defenders moving, and then he can take them to the basket and take maybe an open lane to the basket as opposed to just throwing shots up. Uh, one thing I've observed with Ben Simmons is that he's really good at getting to the basket. But sometimes when he gets there, if he has a defender draped on him or he has a short little window to, to put a shot up, he throws up garbage. And, and that's not all the time, but some of his shots are just like real head scratchers, even some shots that go in sometimes. It's like, I, we sure that ball went in? I don't know how the hell that went in. Uh, so for Ben, I think maybe adding a move dribbling in the half court, that can diversify his game. But I do like the aggressiveness early. And, Austin, we got to talk about Shake Milton. I mean, seriously, we, we have to talk about the kid. Four of seven, three of five shooting. That production's awesome for Philadelphia. What I like most, though, is four assists and zero turnovers. So Bingo. as a primary or secondary playmaker, that's exactly what you want. Initiating some offense, being a guy when if things break down, the teammates can look to you to score. And at the same time, he bounced back phenomenally, I believe, in the past two games. He either has zero turnovers in both combined or less than two. So Shake Mountain doing a really good job protecting the basketball. For sure. I completely agree. Speaking of Shake, and I, I know that we've had a lot of, you know, a lot of, in a sense, impressive feats by Shake this year and a lot of, you know, inspiring checkpoints that he's he's reached. I don't think anything is as inspiring about his about his season as after as bad as he was in, in the Indiana game and the way that, you know, uh, you know that he and Embiid butted heads and as taken out of the game as he, as he was, he responds with the game winner against San Antonio and 16 points in that game as well. Um, he, you know, he hits a buzzer beater in the first quarter and he puts in, uh, you know, I think it was like 14 points, 13 points, 14 points in his game with three threes. And, he, and, and a couple of them came in the fourth quarter too. So Shake, I thought played a, a is just getting better and better, and then he had it, and then as bad as his defense has been at times, and as as I guess, you know, skinny as he's looked at times, he kept um, you know Ishmith in front of him in that last minute on a drive and mm-hmm. blocked and blocked the look at the rim. So yeah. that was a that was a huge moment for him defensively as well. And Shake continues to show show signs of a really strong mentality, and that's going to help him so much going forward. That's a, a you know a significant, significant part of the, of the battle. Yeah, defensively, teams are trying to attack Shake Milton, so I, I think the fouls are definitely happening because of that, and that's something I'd like to see Shake maybe scale back. That could be something he needs to work on, maybe controlling his body or not gambling as much. Uh, so the fouls I would like to see decrease, but nonetheless, for a guard that has as little experience in the league as he does to get attacked as frequently as he does, he's most definitely holding his own. Uh, but Austin, I wanted to pivot here because Brett Brown prior to the game, I think said he was going to limit the Sixers to a nine man rotation now. And that could be because a couple of players are hurt, but the nine man rotation today worked uh, no Howell Neto, but I'm curious now, Austin, 
we've seen a lot of inconsistency from Furkan Korkmaz. Matisse Thibel defensively is all over the floor, but on offense, he's not contributing much. I want to know what happens when Glenn Robinson is healthy because I think he's a player that can really benefit this team. But he now makes the rotation a 10-man rotation. So if Brett Brown has to scale rotation back even further for the playoffs, assuming Glenn Robinson absorbs minutes, who loses minutes, do you think? I think it's become a much easier conversation because of how much Furkan's defense has seemingly regressed these past three games. Yeah, today was tough. And his shooting has been horrible too. Um, mm-hmm. I think Furkan might might lose some okay. minutes there. I think uh, – I mean, I, I, I don't think Horf- – I think Horford looked looked pretty good again today. Yeah, he only, I agree. He only, had, he only had two points, but um, – <laughs> they were a good two points, <laughs> but no, he was like you know he he was better defensively. He was you know, continues to look a little bit younger when, when he's on the move, mm-hmm. um, and you know I, I think it was just about he sort of bought into this role of you know I'm I'm here to do whatever it takes to 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 help this team win games on a night to night basis, um, and tonight that wasn't about scoring for him. It wasn't um, so. You know, I, I think it's going to be Korkmaz of anybody. Okay. I, I, I feel like I, I agree. Uh, but some of those lineups, like a Josh Richardson, Glenn Robinson, Ben Simmons, Joel Embiid. It could be Josh. It could yeah. be Josh. because his It could, yeah. Defensively, he's looked weak. Um, and then, you know, he's there was one session where he – Got got he, he broke a, a he broke like a double team around like the corner area I think, and he goes to attack the rim, and um, dribbles low to keep the, to keep the, the the hands away, turns it over and like no one even touched him so like he's not re- he's not a point guard even even if they try to make him a backup he's not a backup point guard, his shooting is kind of inconsistent at times and he when when he has time to set up he makes them yeah. but you know he he's not you know a barn burner with uh you know with, with the shooting um and you know generally his offensive consistency is lacked this year so it wouldn't shock me if maybe he suffers a little bit his playing time maybe even Thibel if you could possibly play him any less <laughs> yeah. um but I think it would be a candidate Josh Thibel and uh Furcon. Okay, and and you talked about Al Horford. I think Horford's done a really good job filling his role on the Sixers unit, uh, whether that be on the second or third unit or playing with the first in this restart. I mean, 30 minutes today is is likely because there were some injuries, uh, but nonetheless, he led the team in assists in this game, and he grabbed 10 rebounds. So when you look back towards the Toronto series and maybe even Brooklyn, if Philadelphia has a capable backup center, those series may end a little differently. Uh, Al Horford stepping in, although he didn't produce much offensively, grabbing those rebounds, facilitating the rock, setting screens at the elbow, defensively rotating between assignments. I I think Al Horford has done a really nice job, and he's limited his three-point shooting. He's not chucking up three-point shots as often, and when he sees the open shot, he's taking them. So uh, I applaud Al Horford for kind of stepping into his role here. I I completely agree. Um, Now, speaking of – you're right. So, so Alec Burks got all of um, got all of uh, Neto's minutes, mm-hmm. and I think you know even I think even though Brett kind of favors Neto, I think sort of Brett you know keeps track of 
what the public is, is thinking about as well. And that kind of plays maybe a small demon in, in his head. Um, but I have no problem never seeing Halloween Meadow ever again. Um, Alec Burks, I thought actually kind of looked better the passer today. Um, mm-hmm. he was, he wasn't just shooting. He was like, I'm going to pass fake first actually, or I'm going to try to make a read and, and, and pass to a teammate. Um, which is a bizarre concept to Alec Burks from, you know, prior to that. Um, yeah. but you know, he has a very sort of lanky fluid way about his offensive game. And he, you know, in the pick and roll as a creator off the bench, he could be a huge asset to this team if they just let him get minutes. Yeah, I completely agree. And his time with Golden State, even prior to that, in his stints with Utah, Alec Burks has has always done one thing exceptionally well, and that's attack. He's really good at attacking. And he's also a good passer. He, he, he's got poise when he dribbles the basketball. In watching some of his film in Golden State, he facilitates well for a player of his size and his reputation. Uh, you'd assume someone 6'6 that's just chasing buckets is not making these team first passes or is, or is not creating space to make that pass. But Burks does a good job. And, and the thing I like about him is he has both playoff experience and in the half court, he does things with the basketball that are different from what everybody else on the Sixers does. He, he, he includes ball fakes. He has hesitations. He rotates his shoulders well. His footwork is good with the basketball. So he, he's a deceptive player, and I think he can add a lot. And I don't think he's missed a shot since the bubble has started for Philadelphia from beyond the arc. I think he's 5 of 5 from beyond the arc. Uh, so, so he's letting it fly from distance. And Tobias Harris, he was 5 of 10 on catch-and-shoot tries, so 50%. Uh, that's good. That number's, of course, going to decrease because he went one of five from, from deep today. But Tobias Harris becoming a catch-and-shooter is, is also something I like. I saw Tobias run some DHO and, and pick-and-roll with Al Horford today. So there's a multitude of ways that Brett can maximize the personnel on the floor. Uh, today, I, I do think I saw two-man game more than I did in the previous two games, so I, I was pretty content with that. But again, against the worst defensive team in the NBA, according to defensive rating, shorthanded, You'd like to see a little bit more from everybody, but at the end of the day, you just got to feed the ball to Embiid, and, and that's why the, the name of this podcast is Feed to Embiid, because you give him the ball, and he's going to feast. It's it's as simple as that. We eat in the night. <laughs> um, so um, I, I'm really pleasantly survi- surprised by the way that – Alec Burks has really bought into this off-ball role. Like, you know, I, I thought he was going to struggle to make make shots out of like just a spot-up guy because he's not he's used to having the ball in his hands. He is lighting it up from 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 deep, and he's also you know moving off of the basketball pretty well. He's his his movement, you know, off-ball is, is is pretty good, and he's not really showing a sign of. You know, this like, like I can only be used in a certain way. He can be used on ball and off ball. I think which opens up an entire new dynamic that this team hasn't had in the last two seasons. Yeah, he's had a pretty similar usage throughout his entire career. It's around nineteen and twenty-two percent. So the usage isn't what's different. It's just the touches and where he's catching and getting the basketball. So if he's not the point of attack or the primary creator in the half court, he has to be positioned somewhere that makes sense and. For him, that may be in the corner or that may be the wing. But I think he's done a really good job being dynamic in understanding in this possession, 
I have to stay in the corner, and this shot is coming to me, and I'm not moving from the corner. I'm taking this three-point shot. And other possessions, he understands if things aren't working with other players on the floor, if the offense is collapsing, he needs to catch the ball on the wing and create. And I think understanding that is really important for a player like Alec Burks. And if he can play like this every game, there's really no no use for Howell Neto. Uh, so regardless of what Howell Neto does for giving Joel Embiid the ball, I would take Alec Burks' offensive production over that any single game. Yeah, no, I agree. Tiago uh, Scavia says, you guys rock. Keep up, the, keep up the awesome work. Thank you, Tiago. We try. Yeah, <laughs> you, you rock too, Tiago. You, you rock too, Tiago. <laughs> now, Austin, um, let, let, me, let me steal the thunder real quick here. I saw this on Twitter the other day, whoever posted it. It was a start bench cut. And this one got me thinking, right? Oh, boy. It's Ben Simmons, Devin Booker, and Jason Tatum. Now, I was talking to my friends and I said, this is going to hurt. If I had to choose right now, it would be Ben Simmons. Honestly, it would be Ben Simmons. Okay. And we had this discussion before Devin Booker's 35-point out, outburst and, and the game winner. If I'm looking at the next 10 years, though, I think I'm taking Devin Booker. Honestly, okay. I think I'm taking Devin Booker. And I say that because – I think his offense is, is is rare. You know, he he kind of emulates Kobe Bryant's game. And for a shooting guard on, on a team like Phoenix, it could look like empty statistics because Phoenix never wins. Um, but I usually never hold that against players, not against Bradley Beal, not against Devin Booker. I not think against not against maybe I don't know Zach Levine. Zach Levine too. He's one. Well, and and another development to watch is actually what's going on with Buddy Hield in Sacramento. I, I don't see how Buddy Hield is a king. After this season, I mean, I think he didn't close the game. He, he, with all of the drama not starting in Sacramento and coming off the bench in the bubble, when every game is Buddy Heel doesn't start, doesn't finish the game in the closing lineup over a player that went 0 of 12 through four quarters. <laughs> Buddy Heel didn't see the floor in, in the closing lineup. So th- that's something to monitor. You got me off track here. But I'm taking Devin Booker over the next 10 years. And offensively, I think his game is really rare. It's a smooth game. It's a grown man's game. He can get a bucket anywhere on the floor. If he's checking into the game, you know that guy's attacking. You know he's going to get you a bucket. I think he's going to be better offensively than Jason Tatum over this next decade. But I think defensively, Tatum has more to show for, at least through their first couple of seasons. Uh, so I don't know what Devin Booker may look like on a, on a team surrounded by players that compliment him, uh, winning players. But my answer today would be to start Ben Simmons and to bench Jason Tatum. Cut Devin Booker. Over a 10-year frame, though, I think I'm starting Devin Booker. I'm benching Ben Simmons, and it pains me to say this, but I'm cutting Jason Tatum because I love all three of them. Uh, but I, I just think it's a really unique and, and, and a fun debate to have because they're all under 25. I mean, they're young as hell. So you really don't know what they're going to blossom into. Same with Giannis. Like Giannis, Giannis has the potential to be better than Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. And and I'm okay with saying that on record. I think his game in the half court is better probably. You know we're than, live, right? <laughs> yeah, we are. We are. So I think Giannis possesses the potential to be something different and something better than anything we've seen before. He's a modern rendition of Wilt Chamberlain maybe. Uh, so – I, 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 I think 
that's where I stand on all these guys under 25 years old. <laughs> Something, all right. I well, would, yeah. I would, I, I think Jason Tatum is like a fugazi Paul George. I, I, I think he's, I think he has more inefficient games. I mean, I mean, he hunts his shot so aggressively, and like, like the dribble bullshit that he does, where he like pulls back, sidesteps, and then like, you know, it, it takes a three and it like pops off the back of the rim. Like, 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 you know, he misses a lot of shots, <laughs> Tatum, a lot of shots. I think he's a benefit of high usage in Boston. And I think his dribble is improved. His handle's improved. I think his defense is improved. And he's always been a pretty good uh, – he's always been a, a pretty fluid and capable finisher. But he, I, for me, he just isn't like – I don't trust his shooting. And while Booker, I think – is not as good of a shooter. I think it's more of a function of the pieces on his team not being able to be trusted that much. Um, and so, what you know that that plays a role, obviously. But I also think that like Booker has that killer in him. Booker is that is that guy who I want taking the shots down the stretch for my team. Mm-hmm. And I, Tatum isn't that guy. And on top of that, Ben Simmons is the best all-around player of the three of them. Correct. So I think right now I'm taking Ben Simmons. Of course. I'm, I'm benching Booker and okay. I'm cutting Tatum. Interesting. Okay. In 10 years from now – well, do you mean like 10 years from now like active – as active players or like reflecting no, so, on the past? So, so from this point, 10 years later, the player is in the league for 10 years – and it ends on August fifth, two thousand and thirty. Siri, make make a reminder for that day. <laughs> um, I would still go. I think I'm gonna still go Ben Booker yeah, okay. Tatum. Okay. I, I I just think that Tatum gets so overhyped. I really do. Um, you know, I I I just think like last night I saw him come up. Um. Very short. <laughs> I mean, he played like six and a half minutes in in the fourth quarter against Miami. Yep. Had no points, and they've or and he had like two turnovers down the stretch. Um, you know, and so like whereas like and and you know, Tatum has good spacing on his team. He has Kemba. He has Gordon Hayward. He has Jalen Brown. Booker, not so much. Ben Simmons, not so much, but yet Tatum, to me, isn't as efficient as the other two are at times. And I, I think the ceiling for the other two is higher than it is for Jason Tatum. All right, that's fair. And what I saw from Tatum this season, it was definitely improved defense. He looks way more active, and he can become one of those point-of-attack defenders where he can play multi-positional. But offensively, in the fourth quarter, he was among one of the most – productive players in the league. Uh, it, it was his quarter in this season. He did really well. Their shooting splits were awesome, better than Tobias and Chris Middleton there. A lot of fourth quarter point production. But uh, there is a point to be made that he got this huge influx of touches. His usage, his usage shoots up, and Boston plays a game that caters towards Jason Tatum. Uh, so I really think it's going to be fun to see how all three progress throughout the next 10 years. Um, but right now I'm on record as saying I'm going Ben and Book. Or no, I said Ben and Tatum right now 
And then over the next 10, I'd take Book and Ben. Let me ask you this. Yeah. Of those three, who is most likely to, to, to be with their current team in the next 10 years? <laughs> Tough one, isn't it? Honestly, here's my thing, right? We're, we're moving forward from a game where players took pride in, in that thing where they played yeah. for their city for their entire career. And Tom Brady leaving New England to go play for Tampa Bay just kind of broke me. It's like if that dude did it, I don't know what the hell anybody's going to do. So I'm comfortable saying that that Jason – I don't know. I want to say Ben. I, I want to say Ben, but I really don't know. I. It's tough. It's tough. Let me go Booker. Let me go Booker. Let me go Booker. There's no – I think Booker is the least likely to be moved. I you mean, that's a hard let, let, let me let me rephrase that. I think he's the most likely to be moved. Most likely. So, I I think it's Tatum is the least likely because I think that I think they, um, um. Sorry, Jason's messaging on the side, <laughs> messing me up. Um, but I think Boston wants to extend Tatum like as soon as possible because they believe in him as a superstar, and you know I think Clutch is going to have a pretty big, I guess say or influence in what Ben Simmons does. Um, and he says, you know, I'm curious to see how that, you know, how, how it plays out in the next four or five years. Um, and so, you know, I think that's a factor in it. I also think that, you know, there's a risk, there's a flight risk in that the Sixers might look to move Ben Simmons if it doesn't, if, 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 if it doesn't work out. I think those two things, and, and that isn't to say like, I, I think that, Ben's going to, you know, is going to want out or request a move. I just think that the forces taking Ben away from Philly are greater than the forces taking Jason Tatum away from Boston. That I agree with. The reason I said book, man, is like, I think they're creating a culture in Arizona. I mean, with the Cardinals and the Phoenix Suns and the weather there, I think there's a youth movement and a new culture being established in Arizona. And I think Phoenix has fully given the keys of their organization to Devin Booker. Uh, the reason they bring in Monty Williams is to change the entire culture there in Phoenix. Um, but then again, it is a small market team right now. So th- there's always the threat of guys going to play for Los Angeles or the big market teams. But I think right now Devin Booker would probably be the the, the least, not the least, the most untouchable. What do you, I don't even know if that's true. I don't Wait. know. I don't even know if that's true, honestly. Wait. Wait, did you just call Devin Booker the most untouchable? Yeah, and that's why I'm I'm I, I don't even know if that's true. I really don't. That's a whole different conversation. Now I don't even know. I think Ben Simmons is probably the most touchable. That sounds weird to say, but I think oh, it's I think I, I think oh, he's the, I think he's the most touchable. Then I would it's tough. I guess I would say it's, I think it's, Booker, I think it's easy. I think it's, I think it's, it's now, probably easy to say Ben Simmons is the most likely to be yeah. moved, and that's because there's another superstar on the team, and Joel Embiid. So you assume if it eventually doesn't work out, one of the two is going to have to get traded. You, you'd assume. Whereas in Boston or Phoenix, there's a whole there's 13 other players they trade before they even thought about trading Booker and Tatum. Right. My only thing is like let's say. Let's say they don't extend Tatum this offseason and then he has a decline. Mm-hmm. 
does Boston look to move him before they have the maximum? I mean, they moved on from Kyrie Irving prematurely. Right? That, that that turned out to be the the best thing for their chemistry, I guess. But yeah, and, they did and, move on from Kyrie prematurely. And moved and moved from Isaiah Thomas too. Although yeah. they kind of had reason for that, I guess. But yeah, um, it's certainly an interesting situation. MH Money underscore says bold take. I think this was in reaction to your saying that Giannis is going to be better than Kareem. I believe yeah. you said. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. Yeah. Dominique Brown uh, says when Ben and Al Horford play together, this team's defense and rebounding is outstanding. Huge mistake benching Horford. Um, I don't know if that's meant like in favor of Embiid. <laughs> if it is, I don't know what you're watching because Embiid's far and away a better defensive player than Al Horford is. Um, I think what's most disappointing about this team right now as like an, like an effort standpoint is that they give up a lot of offensive rebounds to smaller players right now. Like today, Wizards are just sneaking in there, grabbing offensive boards. The Spurs were doing it a lot on Monday. Pacers did it a ton on Saturday. They're not boxing out right now. And mm-hmm. it's, 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 it's such a rudimentary part of the game. I don't know how you don't box out. But they, 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 just, they don't complete defensive possessions. And the championship contenders, the best teams in the league – they don't forget about the details. They don't, you know, they don't forget about the basics. They finish defensive possessions. They box out. They get defensive rebounds. They rotate well. They, they fire on all cylinders. They cover all the bases. That's the difference. And the set, you know, the second chance opportunities kill the Sixers, and they lead to tip outs and open threes. And that's you know, just by cutting that off, you can change the way that this team plays so much especially because off of a missed shot, you have live ball transition. Defense, defense is trying to get back. You're trying to push the ball. If you let them get second-chance points and they score, that's a chance at the window. It's gone. Um, but it, it, interesting point there. Um, Jay Blevins, 46, says, what are their career win-loss records? I think that's a meaning to uh, Booker, Tatum, and uh, Simmons. I would think <laughs> – Tatum probably has the best win loss record, followed by Ben, followed by, um, followed by uh, Booker. Book, yeah, yeah. Uh, Jay Blevins forty six also says Tatum in response to the who is, I guess, least likely to be to be with the same team and uh, or the most likely to be with the same team ten years from now. Yep. And Jason is our, I guess, our, our insider, if you will. So we have to defer to him on that one. He he he, he has voices in his head. Uh, telling him stuff. So, uh, you know, we'll see about so that. <laughs> uh, Jay Blevins also says, I think he means bookers here, but Flucker is a hundred percent. The first one to want to move to another team. I agree. I think him and Levine, especially, and even buddy Hill are getting tired of losing and tired of wasting their, you know, their, their, their young careers getting smoked and not making the playoffs. I mean, none, none of those three teams have been in the playoffs in how many years? It's, it's more than I more than I can recall. I think I was a sophomore the last time the Bulls were in the playoffs, and I th- that would have been what that would have been like 2016, 2017. 12? And then six oh sixteen. Oh, that's right, they did. Yeah, yeah they lost to the uh, Celtics in the first round after going up 2-0 in that series. That was like the yeah. Wade. That was the Wade yeah. Butler and Rondo year. Um, yeah, and then I think. I think the Suns it hasn't been since like 2010, and then 
for the Kings. I think it's been like oh four. Mm-hmm. It's been a long <laughs> damn time, and I was I, I I Demarcus Cousins is my favorite basketball player. So I've been watching Sacramento lose for a lot of years, and that organization just needs a complete restart, and, and it's going to have to start with their head coach right now. They need to change at that position first. Would you rather have Rep Brown or Luke Walton? <laughs> Shit, man. I'd rather have neither. I'd rather have your dad coach the Sixers. <laughs> no, not an option. You don't want my dad. I don't know. Like, I honestly – I don't know if – no, Brett Brown's definitely bad, but I don't know if it's just that I've had to watch him pace back and forth on the sideline and storm on the court and give these wacky-ass post-game interviews for seven years, and, and that's why I hate him so much. But honestly, I'd probably take him over Luke Walton. Wow. I thought Luke was going to be a great head coach. <laughs> it just backfired on me. It hasn't worked on, on, on two different organizations yet. Now, granted, the Lakers, I think, gave up on him too early because LeBron wanted wanted out but or wanted, wanted him out. Um, but that's that's neither here nor there. Let's go back to the Sixers. Um, <laughs> the Sixers podcast, after all. Right. Um, Matisse Thibel, I'm, I'm starting to figure out why I think he's not getting as much playing time. And I think it has to do with the fact that he's becoming tentative for – like. I mean, that's not the right word, tentative, if you will. Um, when he, you know, he overplays a coverage, ends up behind the guy. I think he's over. I think he becomes tentative with how he defends because he's afraid of picking up fouls. Mm-hmm. And so it's like he's overly aggressive, cheating, cheating the passing line, trying to get the deflection, ends up behind his guy. And then he's also like kind of backing away and basically not defending at all. And it's giving up wide open lanes to the basket. So, I think Matisse has to grow more disciplined with the way he defends, not, you know, try to cheat, not be overly aggressive um, and just stay in front of a guy. I think he's long enough and athletic enough where he can elevate and deflect guys, you know, right. And and staying in front of them, he can tip passes. He can block shots, you know, on on, on guys. Um, So I don't think he has to do that, 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 that bullshit where he tries to, you know, cheat passing lanes and get behind guys and do the rear, the rear view deflections. Um, it's a cute thing, but veteran, veterans pick up on that and they take advantage of it. And then you get into foul trouble and then you're not getting consistent playing time. Um, and so I think that's a big part of why he's not getting minutes right now. Yeah. And I think offensively kind of like how shake Milton needs a big in the game to be most effective, like a Joel Embiid or maybe an Al Horford. I think Matisse Thibel needs the right pairing of combination, uh, the right pairing of players to be effective. And he usually needs to be with a player like Ben Simmons that can run in transition or, or, or maybe somebody that's, that, that's not going to create this log jam in the paint. But offensively, uh, he, he's just he's been less than serviceable. He, he, he hasn't hit shots that he needs to hit, and he can't really create off the dribble at the moment in his career. So offensively, he's not giving you anything. And if your defense is already as bad as it looks through these first three games, then Matisse Thibel not going to elevate you any further. Damn. It's a pretty big indictment. <laughs> but he was on Jimmy Kimmel, though. That's something I, I can't say I've ever done. So this is, this is true. He was on Jimmy Kimmel. Not yet. Not yet. Oh, that's for you. For, for you. you. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, tell us about your haircut. <laughs> I Listen. Let me stop. Let me let me stop. I gotta stop. I gotta stop. Um, 
So what did you think of Jerome Robinson today? I thought, who the hell is this guy? And why is he scoring against the Sixers? That's what I thought. <laughs> no, Jerome, Jerome's been Jerome's been good in, in the bubble. I mean, on this Washington team, somebody's gonna have to put the ball in the basket. They're 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 down a couple of starters and uh, Jerome Robinson has been the guy to step up and do so. He's been good from range for him, and they can put him in the pick and roll and run a two-man game nicely with Thomas Bryant. So Jerome Robinson was a cheap little five for them, and he's complimenting the team well, as is Thomas Bryant. Thomas Bryant had a good game too. I think Thomas is going to develop into a nice little role player. A cheap little find. He was a 12th overall pick last summer. For, two summers, two summers not, not for Washington, though. Not for Clippers. Washington. No. Clippers. Yeah, and then he was involved in a three-team, right? The, yeah, he, the wasn't even, you know, he wasn't getting any playing time, though, at all. So the fact that they like, so like they, they scalped him, basically, from the Clippers, and then he's he's got a future. He's a good player. He was and he kind of reminds me of CJ a little bit. <laughs> I mean, in, in, the way they, in the way they create offense, yes, but that might be a little disrespectful to CJ. Yeah. What did you uh, think that they did with – Rui Hachimura tonight because they really limited him. I didn't think he was nearly as effective as he had been in the in the, the DC game earlier in the season where he had like 18 or 20 something points. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I thought that they just did a better job of just knowing their personnel and <laughs> accounting for him than those elementary things in the game, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, Hachimura is good. He's he's good offensively and defensively. He, he scores in a similar way to like a Paul Pierce or, or even a Devin Booker. And, of course, I just said disrespectful to CJ. That's disrespectful to both because of how young Hachimura is. But nonetheless, he, he gets good buckets. And I think it, it was definitely a product of limited floor, space, floor, uh, limited floor spacing. You know, Washington didn't really have anybody to shoot the three ball today. And because of that, his game probably suffered. And Philadelphia kept throwing big bodies at him. So I think that definitely hindered his game. But he's going to be good for a little while. He's, he's a good ball player. Yeah, no, for sure. Now, Embiid, uh, by the way, these, these these officials have been horrible. Oh, my God. Horrible. Just unbelievable. And my dad was like, was like, was like, are these like inexperienced officials? Like, what's happening here? I was like, well, I don't think they want any of the high-risk older officials coming into the bubble and getting sick. Yeah. So they naturally go with the younger, maybe more inexperienced ones. But these reps have been abhorrent in the bubble. Mm-hmm. And Embiid picks up his fifth foul with like six fifty-five remaining in the game, um, and um, Brett Brown deploys a lineup of Horford, Harris, Burks, Corkmaz, and Milton, and it was kind of like the only Embiidless lineup that I've ever seen. Where I was like, I kind of like this lineup. <laughs> it's kind yeah. of not. It's kind of not horrible. Now they only um, they they got outscored in those minutes without Embiid in the game with that lineup, um, five to three. So not great, not, not a great two minutes, 36 seconds. But yeah. um, I kind of thought it was like something that I'd rather, I'd like to see going forward because it gave Harris an opportunity to sort of get more, you know, um, engaged offensively because the offense was running through him. It got a, got another shot creator on the court in Burks. It got Cork, Maza, Milton, two good, you know, two two capable spot up shooters, and then you have Horford anchoring your defense. Now, obviously, your your defense is not going to be great with Burks, Cork, Maz, Milton, and Harris in there. Um, in fact, it sounds like it's a it's like quite horrible <laughs> four man group. Um, but I mean, you're you're not looking for extensive minutes without Embiid. You're looking to just 
keep pace with the other team scoring. <laughs> while yeah, and and when that five was on the floor, I mean they positioned Harris and, and Horford on the elbows. I think every single time when when they ran they ran horns, they were they were running yeah. horn sets. Yeah, yeah. So that that's that's something that you can expect from that five, and I think it works well with that five. You can maybe curl and get a kick to the corner and get a shot there. Uh, a lot of the times what they do with, with Harris operating from the elbow, if it's a mismatch is send four on the right side and kind of isolate Harris in the post there and, and just let him work. So I think when you see Harris and Horford in the game as the four and five, you can expect them running that word sign a lot. I, going back to that, I also thought that um, I also thought that the, um, the, the, they did a good job of, of, of reemphasizing, placing an emphasis on the bully ball concepts on offense mm-hmm. and getting deep catches, forcing the opposition to foul down low, or if not, it's like a little misdirection and then you just lob back door and then these guys are finishing it. And I, Harris had a couple of those against the Spurs. Ben had a couple of those today. And I think that that's sort of a, a big foundation for them in, in, in how they want to run their, their, their half court offense. Um, now, obviously, with Ben out, if he's out for an extended period of time, we'll see how that looks. Um, but it is actually good to hear Brett Brown say something in a press conference and have it actually applied in game. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And I mean, look, at least we don't have to listen to Brett praise uh, uh, Thomas Bryant after this game and say, look, Thomas Bryant had a great game. We just couldn't stop and there was no answer. Uh, Philadelphia gets this win here and. It was never a doubt, man. Never a doubt. What did I say? I think I forget what I predicted at the start of the bubble. I want to say, did I say six and one? No, that doesn't even add up to eight. Um, <laughs> what did I say? I either said seven and one or six and two. I think you said six uh, and two or five. So and listen, three. six and two. We're 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 par for the course right now. I mean. <laughs> <laughs> but we'll see. Uh, they have a big game against the Magic on Friday. Magic now without Jonathan Isaac. Sixers could be without Ben Simmons, though. Um, what does that matchup look like to you? Uh, I'm speechless. No, no, no. <laughs> uh, Orlando, Orlando has produced one of one of the best offensive ratings in the NBA. Uh, since the restart, and I think that's because offensively they space the floor well. They do run the, the, the two-man game. They have a good second unit. They're shooters on the floor. So uh, I think it's a game where Orlando is going to try to get Philadelphia running, um, but neither team, you know, contrary to the previous couple of games, neither team can really go small on the floor. Uh, Orlando plays two to three true centers, and Philadelphia usually likes to keep Joe or Al out there. So neither team is really going to go small. Uh, so it may look different than the previous three games. Yeah, and I think it's gonna. I think I mean, obviously, Isaac being out, being out, unfortunately, helps the Sixers a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, but I also think that not having Ben could is obviously gonna play a role. Um, that that game to me feels like a loss. It just feels what, like the, a, the Orlando game. Yeah, is that is that a, is that a uh, Mark Fultz revenge game loss or is that just a loss? No, I don't think I don't think Brett would ever. I, I don't. Oh, no, I can't put anything past Brett, but I don't think yeah. Brett would, would would let them stoop so low as to get. You know, get the comeuppance of Markel Fultz, um, mm-hmm. but I, I just think that that's like a game where Orlando is very switchy. They're athletic; they can shoot yep. it. Um, <laughs> they love pick and rolls. Um, they have you know like capable perimeter bigs, 
it just it doesn't bode well for the Sixers, and I think it's going to be a loss. Um, so they'll drop them to two and two. They'll go and finish the bubble with four and four, and we'll all be in the exact same spot where we all started, where we're just like, what the fuck is this? It's the Sixers <laughs> purgatory of, of mediocrity. Exactly they they right. take one on national TV against the Bucks, and then they have the highest odds to win the finals the next day, and then they bounce back with a loss at, at Orlando by like 30 points. It's, it's just nah, – they, the they lost that one by like 15, I think. Or There was a game they lost in Orlando by 15, and there's one they lost I, in Orlando by one. Forget yes. See, see, here's the problem. I just used that analogy as a complete joke, and and it, it was it was it historically accurate because it happens every <laughs> every month. It's uh, it's it's sad. It's very sad. Um, now, Brock, do you have anything to give? Anything you want to shout out for us before we uh, call it a night? I need you to check out the Painted Lines YouTube channel. I'm gonna work on a piece soon about. Allen Iverson and, and what his role would be or what his impact would be in the NBA, uh, in, in the modern day NBA. So we're going to be working on that. Make sure to check out the Painted Lines YouTube channel, Brock Landis YouTube channel, Landis, Blo- uh, Landis Brock on Twitter. And of course, my man, Austin, you're, you're always grinding. So everybody keep checking out, keep liking, keep retweeting my man, Austin's work. For sure. Uh, you can follow me on Twitter, KrellTPL covering the Sixers always. I'm actually working on a, a on a, a shot-by-shot video breakdown of the, <sighs> of, of the TJ Warren game. So, <laughs> so, so, so be on the lookout for that if you, right. if, if, if you dare. <laughs> um, I'm Austin Krell, Krell TPL on Twitter. He's Brock Landis, Landis Brock on Twitter. Uh, as always, be sure to subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, at the feed to mb leave a five-star review. Um, and a rating, or no, no, leave a rating and a five-star rating and a review. There we go. Um, and subscribe to us on YouTube at the Painted Lines uh, on YouTube. As always, thank you for tuning in, everybody, and interacting with us. Take care and have a good night. We'll we'll see you, Brock. Are we recording Friday night or sa- or Sunday? Let's go Sunday. 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 All right. Sunday seems like the we'll, day. We'll be back Sunday. Take care, All everybody. Right. Have a good night. Do you like shotgunning beer? Do you want to increase your shotgun time at parties? Check out my boys at the King Cobra. King Cobra is a shotgunning tool that makes the perfect shotgunning hole under a second. There's also a tab puller, vent plunger, and all fits on a keychain. For more information about the King Cobra, check them out at the King Cobra Co. That's the King Cobra Co. on Instagram and Cobra is spelled with a K. For 10% discount on all products, enter the code TRUSTACOBRA10, all caps, all one word. Pick up yours today. The feed to Embiid and its name are protected by U.S. copyright laws. Reproduction and distribution without my written permission is prohibited. Copyright the feed to Embiid 2020.